Get ready for session four, the nature of pride. I'm so proud to come up here to... <laughs> Some of you didn't even catch that. Man, I got to work on my skills. Nobody caught that. All right. I'm so proud to be here. Now, do you hear that? <laughs> you want to get down to the nitty-gritty of all matters called sin, and you have to come to this lesson. The you are here that I have been trying to articulate from last night is kind of summarized here. So if you think about the issues you've been going through or dealing with in your ministry, your marriage, or relationships on the job, if we were to sit down and you were to tell me your story, again, you would forget that you're going to tell me the six Ps, right? You're going to tell me about this person, this past, and all of that. And as you do all of that, I'm going to do the Proverbs 3.5 with you. I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to do Romans 12. I'm going to weep with you over some of the horrible things that you've had to encounter. We're going to cry together. We're going to hug together. And we're going to sit and lament together on some of the most horrible things you've had to face in life that had nothing to do with you. And we're even going to cry and deal with some of the pains you're experiencing because of the choices you've made. But once we move through the suffering and we kind of love each other and talk about how terrible it's been, then we're going to begin to transition into why things are the way they are in your life and what we can do about it. This becomes the why things are for the last four sessions in this one. And the why things are is a bigger picture to say, listen, if you could understand, first of all, what you can and cannot control, if you could understand where you've been making excuses versus confessions, if you could begin to see that every time you make a decision, it falls into three categories, neutral, loving, unloving, and nothing stays in neutral. If you could begin to map that out and look at the situation you were trying to tell me about and first interpret your situation through that, that's the Proverbs 3, 5 aspect, to lean out on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. By the way, when you look at the Hebrew and all thy ways acknowledge him, acknowledge is not giving a shout out to God. That's not what it means. Acknowledge means that you are doing a circumspect evaluation of your life. And in that circumspect evaluation, you are saying, Lord, as I'm looking at my life, you tell me what it is and what I need to do. That's what acknowledgement means. To acknowledge God means you are recognizing what he says and surrendering to what he wants. So in all that ways, acknowledge him is important because when you're leaning on your own understanding, you're not what? Acknowledging him in all that ways. Part of my challenge as your shepherd, as your counselor, as your friend, as your brother, is to say, I heard your story. I hear you. But can we take all of that and give you this big picture of wisdom to understand how life works, the good, the bad, 
and how you are responding in this and how you should respond. Can we take a moment to help you see where you are on the map? And part of that challenge for me, and this takes what I'm doing in, I guess, a few hours. This normally would take weeks because I'm working with you guys quickly, quickly, but I would take it a lot slower than what I'm doing uh, with the damaged person, if that makes sense. But part of the, what we're doing is to say, all right, if you have these three responses that you can only control, tell me again about the situation you had with your husband. Tell me about the situation again you had with your wife. Tell me again about the situation you had with your cousin or your friends. Now, in that scenario, now that you have this wisdom picture, tell me what you could not control. And let's get specific. When your wife said this or when she believes this and when she desires this or, or when she feels this, at what point did you have any control over any of those things? None. So when you thought this and you said that and you did or did not do this, at what point did you have control over any of those things? So what motivated you in that moment to do what you did and say what you say? Were you driven out of selfish ambition or were you driven out of love? Now that we see which one it was, let's take that moment and the other thing you want to talk to me about and let's do the same thing again and the other thing you want to talk to me about and let's do the same thing again and the other thing you want to talk to me about. And as we keep looking at all the different things you've been wanting to tell me and hope that I was going to give you five different answers when it boils down to the same reality, because you want to talk to me about the fruit, I want to show you the root. As we look at this picture, do you not understand that there is a common denominator in all these scenarios? And by the way, whenever you take a picture, who's missing out of the picture? You catch that? And you've been telling me this story, and this story, the common denominator is what's outside of you. But the reality is, you are in all those things, and you keep doing the same thing, according to the reaping and sowing. You have the same agenda, and you don't recognize that your agenda has been driven more by your own ambition, which is why when we talk about being God-centered or self-centered, you've been more self-centered than you have been God-centered in all these scenarios. And guess what? It has come to a reality that you have been wanting blank from so-and-so a very long time, and you have made that a lustful desire, and you've turned this person into an idol. Now, let's go back, and you tell me that story again with your husband, that story with your child, that story with your mother-in-law, that story with your uncle, that story with your boss, and if you notice, every story you wanted to tell me, there's a common denominator when we look at the wisdom picture of this that you've missed. And that is your agenda is not to know him, to become like him, to be useful to him. Do you guys see how all of that has to be laid out in trying to help people with the simplest or the most complex issues? Because we're talking wisdom. This is how things work. This is the good and bad of how things work, and this is what you have been doing. Now, the reason I'm going there, this is what I call the ABC, awareness, brokenness, change. You first have to see, you have to be broken over what you see, then we can make some changes. 
There will be no change where there's no brokenness. There'll be no brokenness where there's no awareness. And the hardest job of being a pastor or a counselor or a friend is guiding people to see. You are what? I disagree. I'm not there. That's how you see me. You don't know me. Have you ever anybody ever say that to you? You don't know what I've gone through. Oh, we put the defenses up now. So basically, we're leaning on our what? And nobody else is able to give us a definition other than the one we've defined for ourselves. My oldest grandson, he is a good-looking dude. He's about 6'2", uh, 17, turning 18. He has that curly hair, and he's mixed. He's half Hispanic and half black. So he's got that good hair, as they would say. <laughs> and he walks around, and I mean, he is a good-looking dude. Smart as a whip. But part of his challenge is that he's limited to his own knowledge. And I said, son, I love you, but what you fail to understand is you're limited to your own knowledge, which means if you didn't think it, if you didn't declare it, if you didn't describe it, then it can't be true about you. I said, and son, you're headed for a great fall, and I love you. I'm trying to help you, but you're not the smartest guy in the room. You see your grandmother here and your grandfather? We both have PhDs. <laughs> Whatever you know, we know more. <laughs> You're 17. You know what he said to that? Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. All right. It's just not that 17-year-old that does that. And all of that comes back to this one common denominator we're going to talk about in this section, and that's pride. You want to cut to the real core next to your idolatrous lust issues. The only reason idolatrous lust is really happening in your life is because of this thing called pride. And what's funny is, and, and I laugh, pride is one of those sins that most people don't believe they have, but they're irritated when they see it in everybody else. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's not you, but oh, that person's so prideful. How are you able to see that so well? <laughs> Takes one to know one. But anyway. Key point. So let's look at this pride thing. Let's look at the key point. Pride is at the root of every sin you commit and is at the core of the problems we have with people and circumstances. Therefore, we need to understand the nature of pride if we're going to deal properly with the problems we face with people and circumstances. Again, this is part of that wisdom picture when you're coming with your problems to help you shape and understand what's going on in your world. So when you tell me this story about this thing, this story about this situation, this circumstance, the dynamics behind that, as you begin to think in a wisdom perspective from God's eyes, you can begin to unpack what's going on and you can begin to see some of the solutions that can come to bear 
on the situation. Number one, the principle of pride. Pride, if we were to define what it is, it is a mind set on self with resistance and or a lack of submission to the will of God. That's what pride is. Let that sink in. Let me read it again. A mind set on self with resistance or lack of submission to the will of God. See, the question is not do you have pride, it's how much and in what areas of your life. You say, I don't have any pride. Oh, so you're 100% humble? Well, no, I'm not 100% humble. Then if you're not 100% humble, what do you have? See, the danger of denial is one of those things. Let's break this down. A mind, as we talk about this, a mind governed by one's own assessment of self with resistance or lack of submission to the will of God. Now, think about it this way. You get up in the morning, you've assessed you, and as you've looked at you, things are great. It's the people around you. You know, as you've looked at your own righteousness and the way you've lived, you, you read your Bible that day, you had the Bible study, you listened to the pastor's sermon, and you did all the right so far. You are spiritually mature today. So you tell it, and then you run into that person, and then all things start to dwindle down. But it wasn't you because you were spiritual that day. It had to be them. You see where I'm going? Pride is a very dangerous thing because you assess yourself. I tell people all the time, I had all the fruit of the Spirit before I got married. <laughs> I was living with me, and when I woke up in the morning, there was love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and self. I mean, I had it. I mean, I had all the fruit of the Spirit, and then I got married, and so it had to be her because before her, I had all the fruit of the Spirit. And somebody else in this room understanding what I'm trying to say here? And then I spent the first three or four years of our marriage trying to figure out what was wrong with her as to why I didn't have this love, joy, and peace. And what God had to show me was, you've missed the picture. If it's the fruit of the Spirit, that means you're walking by the Spirit. And if you lack it, it's not the person, it's you. No one can make you lose love, joy, and peace. That's the condition of your heart. You misunderstood what real love, joy, and peace looks like because you've been by yourself. Now I put you in a room with someone else, and you get to see their depravity as much as they get to experience your depravity. Now you really see how much love and joy and peace you really have and what it was based on. And if you keep making excuses... You won't get to the confession so that you can truly walk by love, joy, and peace. See, if love is based on who uh, the other person is, then Jesus, when he said, love as I have loved you, then he meant love as I've loved you, meaning I loved you because you were so special and what you did right and it was attractive to me. Is that what he said? Love as I've loved you. Well, how did Jesus love us? Did he love us according to who we were or did he love us according to who he was? Huh. So there was never a character deficiency in us that determined whether he would or would not love us. And then he asked us to go do the same, but not on our own accord, but by the power of the Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is what? So when there's a lack of love in your house, guess whose fault it is every single time? Yeah, but you don't understand. Yeah, but again. 
So what you're trying to tell me is that the love of God is conditioned upon people and circumstances versus the love of God is based upon the character of God. Hmm. So if the love of God is based upon people and circumstances, then people aren't always at their best, which gives you an excuse to be at your worst. Or is it that the love of God is based upon the character of God, and the more you're having the character of God, the more you love people, not based upon who they are, but based upon who you are, which means as you're growing in your character and faith, you're going to grow in your love for people, and it doesn't matter what they do or don't do because it was never based on who they are. It was based on what? That's why I love talking to married couples. So there's a lack of love in this house. Whose fault is it? And when they start with the yeah, but, or they start with a personal pronoun and it's not themselves, yeah, but he, yeah, but she, I say, you've missed it. And pride is at the root of that. Here's the third thing I want you to see. A mind governed by trust, confidence, or dependence in one's own abilities, accomplishments, academics, affluence, associations, or position in life with resistance and or lack of submission to the will of God. This is what pride boils down to. It's dangerous to be confident in yourself. Because the more confident you are in yourself, the less risk you will take to trust God with things that you can't do by your own competencies. And you will look at situations and say, well, based upon my adequacy or inadequacy, I can't do what God has asked in this or commanded in this moment. Well, that's prideful. God didn't ask you to be competent to do something. He asked you to be available. And he will give you what you need. It's kind of like the biggest arrogance before uh, Moses was considered the most humble man at the time in Scripture. God asked Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. And what did he say? Really? So you think God was depending on you and your abilities? Or was God wanting to use you in spite of your ability? Well, in his arrogance, he thought the other and said, I can't do this because I've assessed myself and based upon myself, I don't feel confident enough to do what you've commanded me to do. That's not humility. That's arrogance and pride at its finest. See, the reality is if God has commanded it, it wasn't contingent upon your ability. It was contingent upon his power. Because in your inadequacy, people will know it was God. You have nothing to brag. Moses, I know God was leading you because ain't no way you had the ability. <laughs> this had to be God. Does that make sense? That's why my friends know I'm a Christian because the life I lived before being saved and the way I use this mouth and this mind, they know I belong to Jesus. And the things that God allows me to do is nothing but God. Because if it was dependent upon me, I couldn't do half the stuff. So the more confidence you have in yourself, the less freedom you have to be useful to God. The more confidence you have in God's ability to use you, the more freedom you have. You see the difference? But one keeps you because of pride. Okay, let's keep going. Again, seeing the big picture here. 
All right, letter D, a mind governed by service of self, sustaining of self, satisfaction of self, or exalting oneself with resistance and or lack of submission to the will of God. It goes something like this. I'm tired of talking about me. Now you tell me what you think of me. <laughs> it's all about you. See, you never have to learn to love yourself. I mean, contrary to the song that Whitney Houston made popular, the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. No. You already love yourself. You're supposed to die to yourself, take up the cross, and follow him. So when I get these questions around the country, well, well Professor, I'm really struggling with loving myself. And I'm, I mean, I, I really want to love others, but how can I do so if I don't love myself first? I said, well... Here is the reality. You're not struggling with loving yourself. You're full of yourself. If you were to love people as much as you love yourself, they'd be truly blessed. You know that scripture in Ephesians where it says, no man has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it? And then it talks about how a man should nourish and cherish his wife. See, if you think about it this way, when you're hungry, what do you do? When you feel bad or have a headache or what do you do? You don't hesitate to do any of those things for yourself, do you? So what I find fascinating when you think about it, when you become one with your spouse, whatever you would do for you, you automatically need to think about do they need and or want the same thing. I never forget how I learned that the hard way. I, first year of marriage, I went to the grocery store to get myself something to eat. Came home, eaten. <laughs> My wife said, well, you went to the grocery store? I said, yeah. <laughs> what was the next follow-up question? <laughs> I was like, wait, you didn't ask me for anything? I didn't know you wanted anything. <laughs> I learned that lesson real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I was a single man. It was the first year of marriage. I didn't know. <laughs> when I went to the grocery store, it was always for me. I didn't know. But what I learned from that was this. When you're one with someone, whatever you want, you need to check to see if someone else wants it. You don't just nourish and cherish yourself. You nourish and cherish the one. And whatever you do for you, you do for the one that's next to you. See, that Ephesians passage got real clear, real simple. Because the one thing you don't do is hate yourself. You are full of yourself. You look out for you if you don't look out for anybody else. The Bible says, well, guess what? Now you have somebody with you. Whatever you would do for yourself, you need to make sure you do for the other person. And you're not going to stop loving you, are you? You say, well, what about those people who want to kill themselves? Well, they're so full of themselves, they've decided how they're going to ease their own pain. That's not a lack of love for self. That's being full of themselves. What about those people that are cutting? Well, they're cutting because that's their way of dealing with their pain or their problems. Who are they still easing and looking after? No one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes, cherishes it. You don't have a lack of love for yourself. And what does that boil down to, guys? Pride. 
Isn't that a scary thought to see just how much full of ourselves we are? That's what I tell people. Oh, your biggest problem in any relationship is that people aren't thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you. Let me prove it to you. When you are angry with somebody, why are you angry with them? Explore it. Why are you angry? They weren't thinking about you at the level you or what? And how dare they not think about you at the level you're thinking about you, which makes you what? Angry with them because they should be as full of you as you are of you. The nerve of them not to be as full of you as you are of yourself. Isn't that why you're angry? But you don't see it that way. Why? Because you're what? Full of yourself. This self-centeredness is so dangerous that we try to pay, bring it into something else in the church called self-care and all these names we give it. It's just another form of being preoccupied with self, self-centeredness. That's the principle of pride. Now, as we look at this principle of pride, point number two, what's the problem of pride? Then I wanted you to go back and look at these passages. We don't have time to cover them all, but I encourage you to read them. The problem of pride, pride, number one, is detestable to God and brings detriment to you from God when you walk in it. It's hated by God, letter A. It's in opposition to God. It brings destruction to your home. It leads God to the judgment of you. That is the problem with pride. And everything that we've talked about to this point rooted is rooted in this. Everything we've talked about. This is the core issue in all of our lives that has to be really, really addressed because you have a pattern of looking after yourself and being consumed with yourself alone. Even in church, we think about many ministries according to how it pleases us, not how it glorifies God and blesses others. So this practice of pride, again, life is lived being consumed with pleasing, providing, or promoting of oneself with the lack of love for God and the lack of love for others. Letter A, pride is revealed in one being preoccupied with having their way and using people to get it resulting in confusion, disorder, and every evil thing in their lives. It's revealed in one having a sense of entitlement to God's comfort while getting angry when God allows discomfort in one's life. The fact that God loved us the way he loved Jesus means that he'll allow us to suffer as well, along with comfort. And too often we confuse God's love with, if you love me, you'll never let me suffer. If you love me, you'll never let anything bad happen to me. If you no, 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 no. Then you don't understand the nature of God's love. God's love is with you through it all because he's using all of that to bring about an ultimate good. Because why did he save you? To know him, to become like him, to be what? And that's just not in this time, but that's for eternity on. Pride is revealed in one's talking in a manner which reveals they think too highly of themselves. You know, how dare you say that to me? Oh, they said it to Jesus, but they can't say it to you. How dare you treat me this way? Oh, they treated Jesus this way, and I thought you were a follower of Christ. 
Pride is revealed in rebellion and or disrespect of God and God-given authority in one's life. Here's what I've learned about people who can be very disrespectful towards me. Your level of disrespect is at the level you think you're equal to someone in a position. Does that make sense? So you, re- you disrespect the person you think you're equal to. So when you're disrespectful to someone in a position of authority, you think you're equal to that authority. So therefore, you don't give them the respect that God has commanded you to give because in your mind, they're no better than you. They're no less than you. So therefore, you can treat them as something common. That's a very dangerous place to be. Think about the people, and let me see if I can put it to you in a way that makes sense to you. When your children decide as children, they no longer want to follow your direction, and they believe they can talk to you as if you're one of their friends. You understand it now, right? Boy, I remember the day when my children got confused. (laughs) See, we don't, what is that new thing they have now? Gentle parenting, or what is that? What, what is it called? Uh, gentle parenting. Or, uh, is, is that the name for it? See, that's some... Well, anyway. Um, we don't practice gentle parenting. We use the rod of correction. The Board of Education at the seat of knowledge. Okay? Now, what point am I making? At that point, they thought they were equal in authority and thought they had the right to raise up and to go against. Pride will do that. God has put people in authority over you, all of us. And at the level you think you can rise up and disrespect and go against it, you've decided you're equal with that authority. And by the way, when you reject God's authority, who are you also rejecting? So guess who you think you're equal with at that point? That's pride. Every ounce of pride. Pride, again, where are we? Letter A. D, thank you. I got lost. I started thinking about some of the stuff I need to deal with when I get home. <laughs> that ever happen to you? You get to talking like, oh, snap. <laughs> stuff I need to deal with. Anyway, I digress. Letter D. Pride is revealed in rebellion and or disrespect of God and God-given authority in one's life. At that level, you are exposing your heart. Let's look at number four. What is the product of pride? Product of pride. Pride leads you to disconnect from God, a downfall in your life, and to division with others. The reason why many of you can't hear from the Lord is that you're too consumed with God speaking to you the way you want to be heard and the way you want him to speak. Pride leads you to be deceived about who you really are. It it, it amazes me. Here is the theology or the the psychology of people talking about forgiving themselves, which again, the Bible doesn't call you to forgive yourself. The Bible calls you to get over yourself, okay? But what happens is, and you find nowhere in the Bible where you're called to forgive yourself, the reality is, here's what happens. You do something that you think is not becoming of who you are. And so you're surprised by your own sin. And so in your mind, you could never have done something like that, which means you don't think you're really that depraved. 
okay? And because you don't think you're really that depraved, you do something that's unbecoming of you. So it's just that you couldn't have done it. So instead of seeking God's forgiveness, you cut yourself some slack. You see the problem there? That's what forgiveness of self is about. I really couldn't have been that bad, so let me cut myself some slack. No, you really are that bad, and God really is that good. But the moment you cheapen it, you want to talk about forgiving yourself instead of getting over yourself and accepting, I can do some of these most vile things that I didn't think I could do because I didn't realize how deep my depravity went, which I didn't realize how much I need this gracious God who's willing to deliver me out of this depravity. That's why you're not asked to forgive yourself. You're asked to get over yourself and get under the mighty hand of God. But people here, when you're deceived about who you are, you can't accept those things. That's why in a lot of counseling situations, many of you are in, it should have stopped a long time ago. You keep trying to tell people who they are and they keep telling you where to go. And you keep trying to tell them who they are and they keep telling you where to go. You need to go there. Because what they're telling you is, I don't believe I'm here. Which means God has to do something to them that you have no power to do. He has to open up the blind spots. See, pride hinders you from genuine improvement. Pride brings shame to your life. Pride leads you to self-destruction. Pride leads you to stir up strife with others. These are some of the products of pride. Now, number five, I want to give you a picture of pride because these are little elements because I could hear somebody saying, well, that's not me. I don't have any pride. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, let me give you some other avenues of what pride looks like, number five. And I want you to ponder some of these. These are, again, the elements, the fruits of pride. Arrogance, to exaggerate one's own worth or importance. Presumption to suppose that something is true without checking because you think you know. Unbelief, skepticism of truth presented by God. Self-protection, keeping yourself from people, places, and things that may hurt you or disappoint you and using that as an excuse not to love. Unforgiveness, holding a grudge against someone, not setting them free from the wrong they have committed against you even though they have sought your forgiveness. Unbiblical control, seeking to regulate what people think, say, and do according to your personal standards and agenda and not God's will. Self-preoccupation, preoccupation with what happens to you, through you, and for you. Blame shifting, blaming your sin on the negligence of someone else or circumstances perceived as beyond your control. Grumbling, unthankful in your situation or with people believing you deserve better or more. Lazy, doing things when you get ready or when you feel like it, not when God has commanded Self-sufficient, living and believing the lie that you do not need anyone and that you can handle life by yourself. Unteachable, unwilling to listen to instruction. Lack of submission, unwilling to follow instruction. Perfectionism, setting standards that God did not set and seeking to live by them without any failure in them. Pity party, always focusing on how bad you are and how bad you fail and how feeling sorry for yourself as a result. So by the way, pity party and a praise party going the same place. You still set on you. See, in a praise party, it's all about me. In a pity party, it's all about me. So who's always at the center? Hence, pride. 
resisting accountability, unwilling to answer to people and to be open to people who can help you from the people, places, products, and perspectives that lead you into sin or help you confess, repent, and replace these things for right living. Defensive attitude, seeking to escape or avoid criticism through some rationalization, justification, or denial. Now, before we move on, I've said a whole lot. It's time for you to talk about this. The question is, does any of this fit you? Does none of this fit you? If you tell me none of this fits you, and I, by the way, I've had some people in counseling tell me none of this fits me. It's dangerous, isn't it? See, remember, the more pride you have, the less you see it in yourself, and the more you're irritated in the lives of other people. So some of you in this room don't think that you're as prideful as you really are, and you're basing it on your Bible study reading, you're basing it on your devotion time, you're basing it on your ministry, you're basing it on the years of life you've been a Christian. By the way, that's pride. Catch that? Take a few moments. Review these things. Look at how deep and complex pride is. And think about the you are here scenario. Because all of the struggles we have comes back to this. Take about two or three minutes. We'll come back. We'll look at some ways to deal with it and some solutions for it. Sir? <laughs> okay. <laughs>
Okay, everybody. Before we jump back in and start talking about solutions, I want to, we're going to have a question and answer a little bit later. So I want to open the floor for so much questions. I would love to hear some of the ways you're processing this information. So I want to take a few minutes before we dive into solutions. I just want to go around the room a little bit and just jump out there. As you're hearing this, the stuff you can share, because I know there's a lot of stuff you can't share. Like I had just had a moment and I can't tell you what I was thinking about. Okay? <laughs> but some of the stuff that you can share, I just want to hear from some of you or all of you, what are you thinking right now? I mean, from all the stuff we've been talking about from yesterday to tonight or today, What's going on in your mind? How are you processing this? What, what are you starting to see and think? I just want to go around the room. Yes, sir. And then we'll come here to you, ma'am, and then we'll come to you. I wonder why, Pastor. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, you. Let's turn your head around. You. I thought you had your hand up. You didn't? No, you're like, no. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, wait a minute. Who's talking? Oh, I'm sorry. I was pointing here, but that's fine. No, no, no. You go ahead, ma'am, please, and then I'll come here. Please, share your heart. Praise God. Yeah. I think about the stuff that I've had to suffer through when they said, your, my suffering is for your blessing. And it's times like this that I'm reminded it wasn't in vain. There were some things that I had to go through and grow through in order to share with you what I'm sharing. Because a lot of stuff I'm sharing with you, it comes from family issues. It comes from uh, pastoring. It comes from just a lot of hard places in life. I mean, helping my oldest daughter deal with being raped and molested, you know, then my youngest daughter making some crazy decisions because of things in her heart, us having to work through that and thinking they're saved when they're not saved, them coming to Christ and all, all the drama that comes with all that. And then people and family. And then you got all of us have that one cousin or uncle, hey, man, let me hold something. And they always want some money for, I mean, all the drama that comes and you're having to learn to work through all of that and to do it God's way, it, it can be a lot. And sometimes you wonder, Lord, what are you doing? And it's so that you can grow and then share. So thank you for the encouragement. Yes. and know that he wants to love you. He wants to give you. I, I'm about to take our church through the book of James, and so I'm studying, uh, you know, anyone who lacks wisdom, let him ask. And just some of the, the, the reality that God wants to give you what you need, but most of us don't want what he wants to give. That's why we're lacking wisdom. 
We want solutions when God wants to give us insight for transformation. We just want this to go away. And God didn't want it to go away. That's why he says, count it all joy and count of various trials. Well, I'm not going to go there because I know Brother Reggie preached on that. Whatever Brother Reggie said is what I'm saying. <laughs> Anybody else? What are you thinking? Yes. The next session is going to give you where to start when we talk about repentance and what it looks like and how to apply it. So we'll give you some, hopefully, some practical tools there. Yes, ma'am. And then we'll come back here to you, ma'am. I saw the hand up. Did I see the hand back there? Okay. Yes. Well, the key is to line up your list with God's agenda and understand how he works. Because Proverbs 16 says, uh, the mind of the, uh, the plans of the heart belong to the man, but the answer to the tongue is from the Lord. So he's given us the freedom to plan. We just don't get to control the outcome. And I think that's what we have to learn. Okay, God is going to drive this the way he wants. Because we are to work the plan, plan the work, but trust God with the results. And I think that's where you have to struggle. Lord, I, I thought it was going to go this way, but it went this way. To your glory. Okay? I had the plan, but this is in your sovereignty how you want it to go. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. I am a only child and my wife is an only child. So when we got married, space was very important to both of us. But one of the things we had to remind ourselves is there are no only children Christians. And as we kept trying to live as only children, so many people try to do that in the faith. It's not the way it works. We need each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We live in the culture of individualism, you know? Yes. Say it one more time. How can nobody want what God wants to give them? Because God has to put it in our hearts to want it. And it's an acquired taste that comes with a much brokenness and much surrender over time. So it's kind of like and I'm going to use this term back before I was a Christian. Beer is an acquired taste. I really didn't like beer until I got with my football buddies. And in college, I thought beer was nasty until they kept chug, 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 chug. <laughs> and then over time, I started actually liking it to where I was grabbing them to go. But again, we ain't getting the details. But the point I'm making is... <laughs> It was an acquired taste. 
and taste and see that he is good, the more we keep tasting, the more we keep surrendering, we keep seeing the satisfaction that comes from him versus the culture. But that requires us some detoxing and some detaching to developing. And God will do that with all of us over time. So, make sense? Anybody else, what are you thinking? What, I mean, what's going on in your mind? I want to hear from you. Yes. Amen. Hey, listen, you're preaching my language now. There is a book. I'm about to take our church through it. Every year, I'll pick a book of the Bible, and I'll pick a workbook for our church, and the first part of the year, we'll walk through. And there's a book by Heath Lambert called The Great Love of God. And I read it over the holidays, and I thought, oh, my goodness. And it teaches you to understand the nature of God's love and how the more you embrace that, the more you can endure and handle life. And I thought, our church is at a place now in its season where me going through the book of James from the pulpit and then in our discipleship time, the great love of God, I just think those two things together were really going to help the congregation. And I want to encourage you, it's a great book, a great read, because you're you're speaking the language, and it it hit me hard. Our church is going to struggle with embracing trials because they haven't embraced how much God loves them, and they don't really understand the nature of God's love. So if I can preach through the book and also give them some other things to think through, it'll help them absorb that God's love includes suffering, not devoid of it. And that God's love is about bringing you through it because he has a greater agenda for us than just our comfort, you know. So thank you for sharing that, right? Anybody else? Two, three more before we jump in. Yes, ma'am. And then back there to you, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's what your husband and children 
church members, that's what they're there for. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, that's what it's about. Um, God had to use my wife, my children, other people to expose me. Yeah, you know a lot, but you don't live enough. Yeah, you've been to school, but you need to, to really go to school. You know, and they became the equalizer to my education and my knowledge to expose me to reality of how distant my insight was from my practice. And so those are the moments that can help you if you allow them to. And where a lot of people will reject that, that's where you embrace that. Well, why is this happening at this point, you know, on my job or with these people? Well, God is exposing. He's using that person's circumstance to bring out what's inside of you that you didn't think was in you. So that's how you learn the reality of who and where you are and how you need to grow. And from there, you start to make no more excuses. You confess, you repent, you replace. That will always be the system. Confess, repent, replace. Make sense? Yes, sir. Amen. Thank you for sharing that, brother. I, I, I sense that, what you're saying. I sense your heart on that. Thank you. Keep pursuing. You can't force what's not there. It's acquired, <laughs> and it will develop over time. God is at work in you. So if it's not there, it will be in time. But if you stick on the track, it's, again, you're tasting and seeing that he's good. So the more you keep feeding on it, it will happen. Amen. Listen, join the club. 
know that we all struggle with it. That's the, that's the struggle. And again, I'm so glad that God lets you see it. Because the worst thing is that he keeps you in the blind. Yeah. All right? Yes, ma'am. Well, no questions yet. Because we're going to have a question and answer. So whatever that is, hold it, write it down, and I want to answer it for you. But apart from that, how are you feeling about things? I'm sounding like Dr. Phil. Tell me how you feel. <laughs> okay. Now, do you have to do it or do you have to surrender to the one who's trying to work it out in you? So as you follow his steps, he's going to work things out. Remember, you're working out as he's working within. You don't have to make yourself anew. He is making you anew, and he's asking you to surrender to certain things on a habitual pattern, and the more you surrender, the more he transforms, right? So think about the transforming process. When the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Wait a minute. That means something has to happen. There's a passiveness to that. Me being transformed, somebody's doing something to me, but how does that happen? By the, the more you study Scripture and let it saturate your mind, the more God transforms your thinking. But your responsibility is the saturating your mind with truth. His responsibility is to transform it. You got it? So the more you learn the things that you are habitually practicing or called to do, the more you experience this power of God. But the less you do it, the more stuck you are. Like, when does God forgive? When we confess. Well, if I'm always making excuses versus confession, that's why I'm always guilt-ridden and depressed because I'm walking around with all this guilt and I keep looking at everything else and everybody else versus the way that God has given the avenue. If you own up where you messed up, I'll forgive. When you make it a habitual pattern of seeking forgiveness, you get the habitual pattern of God's peace. Does that make sense? So it's learning those realities of your role and responsibility and what God does. And the more you learn that, the more you're free to walk in this Christian life because you won't be sinless, you're going to sin less. But you won't mind owning up to it because you know as soon as you do, God says, I got you. You're forgiven. Make sense? Amen. One more, and then we'll jump back into the lesson. We're almost done. Yes, ma'am. Hey, man, I can't fix me. I want to fix me. But that's why I'm in trouble because I'm in the way. <laughs> I need to learn how to let God do it, but that doesn't mean I do nothing. I learn my role and responsibility. If God is working within, then how do I work it out practically? That's the prayer, the confession, the repentance, all the things that God gives us to do. But we'll, we'll talk about that. All right, let's close out this session. Um, how, do, how do we put away pride? Where do we start? We're kind of doing what our sister here has done. You got to start with examining yourself first. Here's some questions that I would encourage you to ask on a regular basis. What has God said to me that I cannot accept? 
you know, when your pastor preaches that sermon or you're in a small group or one of those discipleship settings you're in, and the truth is so clear, but you on purpose forget about it or ignore it. You know, there are some things that God has been saying to you for a while. What is it that he's saying that you cannot accept? And a lot of times people say, well, I'm struggling. Well, here's why you're struggling. You know what to do, but you want to hold on to what you're doing. That's double-minded. So when people, I'm struggling really hard. Tell me what you're struggling with. Well, I mean, I know I should do this, but I want to do this. I know I should do this, but I want to do this. So the struggle is your unwillingness to release yourself from that which you know is wrong in the sight of God and surrender to what is right in the sight of God. Okay. What has God said to me that I cannot accept? Number two, who do I compare myself with? Ooh, that is a dangerous thing. Because wherever you're looking, there's always someone worse than you, equal to you, or better than you. Just depends on where you're looking that day. That's, just, that's why I tell people, don't ever compare your mate to anybody either. Because depending on where you're looking, there's someone better than your mate, just like your mate or worse than your mate. Number three, what standards of thinking, behaving, and living govern my life? Do I live by what I feel or what God says? What areas of my life have I chosen not to submit to God? See, this is, again, if you want to put away pride, you got to first examine your life and start asking some of these questions. And when I sit down with people and we have just a casual conversation about these things, and if it doesn't end in yeah, but, then they're ready to do business. Because pride, again, I'm set on self and I'm resisting the will and the ways of God. Secondly, examine your relationships. You want to see where pride is? How often do I confess my faults to a person I've offended? You know one of the hardest things for Christians to do is to ask for forgiveness and to admit that they're wrong. We can pray and teach, but the hardest thing for us to do is the most important thing. Would you forgive me for these unloving attitudes? My wife and I, before I got here, we just had a real big fight. I mean, just nasty, right? And one of the first things I had to do to keep short accounts was to acknowledge that my attitude was wrong and to ask her forgiveness. And then she did the same. We try to make a habit as much as we can to do that because what happens is bitterness won't grow in a house where confessions are made. But that takes a willingness to accept that you were wrong. And our grandchildren, I have four boys, they all live with me, and we're trying to teach them the same thing. And there have been some times where I was just on edge, and I had a lot of things in my mind, and they're being boys. And I'm going, hey, I'm thinking, that was uncalled for. They're not doing anything, we're just being boys. And I've had to bring them and say, listen, they call me Poppy. I said, I'm, I'm Poppy, I'm asking y'all's forgiveness because I was rude and unkind in what I shared with you. Would you guys forgive me? And their eyes get big. Uh, okay, Poppy, yeah, 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 okay, Poppy. But what I'm teaching them, and then they do it. They'll come to me, or they'll come to, they call my wife, Nana. Nana, would you forgive me? You told me to take the trash out, and I was disobedient. Would you forgive me? And we're sitting like, oh, this is so cute. <laughs> You're forgiven. Come give us a hug. 
Lord. Get some, go get some cookies in there too. It's all right. <laughs> but they're learning. Keep short accounts. Now, let me ask you a question. There's some folk that you have wronged, and you knew you were wrong. Have you owned up? Or are you still making excuses and not confessions? See, pride keeps you making excuses. Here's another thing. How often do I confess my hurts to people I've offended? Can you tell people where you're hurt and why? Here's another question. Is my anger toward my family, friends, co-workers, and church members pleasing to God or displeasing to God? Am I critical of family, friends, co-workers, and church leaders who do not do things according to my standards? Do I give according to my feelings or God's standards? Do I love according to my standards or God's standards? So first, examine yourself, examine your relationships. Third, examine your response to God-given authority. Am I submitting to my husband according to my standards or God's standards? Am I submitting to leaders on the job at church according to my standards or God's standards? Here's a big one. Do I have a biblical reason not to submit? As I am a professor, as a pastor, I have submission. There are people in my life I have to answer to. And sometimes if I'm not careful, I'll think I'm above submission. There's a the pride. How do you handle people of authority in your life? Do people have to sugarcoat giving you instructions? Or can they just tell you what to do without it being an issue? See, that shows where you are. Number four, how do we deal with it? Identify the key areas where you have pride. Is it with family, friends, work, finances, reputation, entertainment? B, ask yourself, this is the question. Am I willing to live under God's authority in this area of my life? See, where there's a struggle... In most cases, you know what to do. You're just unwilling to do it. And the struggle is your conscience is wearing you out. And all you have to do is own up and surrender. And I say, all you have to do, you say, well, you make it sound simple. Well, the reality is you have the power to do it because you're a Christian. So why are you not doing it? That's always the question. Letter D, ask God to give you a desire and a will to repent in this area. Learn God's truth in the area and meditate on it consistently. Do the hard work of training in God's truth through the help of the Holy Spirit and other believers. Expect difficulty. Expect hardships and resistance from all angles. Allow God's grace, time, and truth to strengthen you as you train through the difficulty, hardships, and resistance. It's hard to obey God because in many cases you don't want to and you're fighting yourself. But the more you fight yourself and do what you need to do, you'll find the flesh will calm down in many areas. Number 10, find a set of people that will encourage you, keep you accountable, and work with you. God did not save you to himself alone he saved you to the body of what? You are part of a big family that covers a lot of ground. Let me see if I can put it to you this way. One of the things that Christianity has done for me 
as an African-American male, the culture may see me a certain way and they have ideas about me that may or may not be true. When my brothers and sisters just happen to see me according to my character and not so much according to my color. And I can go around the world and be in a safe environment with other brothers and sisters that don't look like me because they're not caught up in my color. They want to hang out with me because of Christ. I can't tell you the freedom that gives me because sometimes when I'm out of this bubble, I'm reminded from the culture many times a view of me that's satanically driven. Does that make sense? And see, I know who it is. It's not the people because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But I can go some places sometimes, and there are things that are said to me that I'm thinking, oh, that's right. I forgot there's still a culture in the world that doesn't necessarily recognize the reality of God and his love. This is why grace relations has to be the center of our world, saints. When we operate in grace relations, we can handle any race in that relation. And that's the beauty of what we have as saints. The moment we recognize that with each other, we are free to love on each other. And watch this. We confuse the world. The world doesn't know how to do this. They don't understand how to connect the way we connect. They don't have the power to connect the way we connect. And the more we do it, we confuse the world by the power of God as we do. Let me tell you something. If we as saints actually operated the way we were intended to do with all the money and resources we have combined, do you know how we could be running stuff? But let me just be quiet and leave that alone. We've got a whole lot of resources as saints. And the moment we stop trying to divide and start coming together, oh my goodness, the government will be coming to us asking us how to do what needs to be done. We're trying to do through the government what God has given us the power to do without the government. But it, uh, uh, stop it. We're going to break right there.